At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Happy New Year! Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't say that. This is just our little intro, huh? That's okay. Happy New Year. You're still here at the podcast. Yeah, you are. You are. Christy and, uh, Christy and I are here, um, ringing in the new year. Yes, we are. I'm still yeah. wearing my joy to the world hat because it's I see like that. The, I wish our listeners could see this, this lovely hat matches ninth, your pink it, headphones. Yeah, I know. Ninth, is it ninth day of Christmas? I should know this. Uh, oh gosh. I should know it, this as well. Yeah. Because it's still Christmas tide. I know it is. Epiphany's, Epiphany's January 6th. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we are still in the midst of Christmas tide. Yes, we are. My so Christmas don't grow decorations. Weary of celebrating. No, it's still up. It's all still up. Um, I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Okay. What is the best swag that, mm. like, a company or a ministry could mm. give or has given you as, oh, like, a hey yeah. promo? You know, I uh, think of often there's a so somebody in one of my cohorts, um, her husband works at this company that does that kind of thing. And she ended up sending us some of their, of their swag. And the thing I love the most is the water bottle I got. Oh, it is a, it's like a nice metal. uh, I think it's like double walled kind of vacuum sealed. So it keeps the water really, really, you put some ice and some water in there. That thing is cold for like 36 hours. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's really nice. I, I'm going to, I'm going to up you like okay. 10 times because what I know that's a big Paul, claim, Christy. It is, okay. <laughs> you know, Paul works a lot, lots of different ministries and a ministry that I will, it will rename nameless. How's that? I guess okay. we, we won't tell who it is, but yeah. they gave him a, a something that I was like, what in the world? This is like a Christmas gift. It was one of those Ember cups. That keeps your coffee warm for like forever. Well, oh. not forever, but it like it like has like a little thing a on the bottom. Built in. Okay. And then you can like put it on the charger or whatever, but you can take it off the charger and it will keep it a certain temperature connected wow. to your phone. Wow. And they have like their name on the front of the cup. And I was like, can I have that? Can I take that to work? <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to be supporting with my swag, my coffee cup swag. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So Paul got something that keeps the drink hot, and my favorite thing is the thing that keeps the drink cold. Yeah, there you go. I guess you could put a hot drink in there, but that feels a little weird to put a hot drink in your water bottle, doesn't it? No, not if it's like hot cocoa or coffee or something. You should try it. Let us know how how long it stays hot. Okay. With a contest. It's a nice one. It's a nice one. (laughs) 
No, that is that's a great that's a great little swag gift. So yeah, it was really cool. it was like better than his Christmas present I gave him. I think so. <laughs> Did oh, he well. just get a Joy to the World hat like that? Yeah, you know, Joy yeah. to the World hat. Everybody gets one. That's what I should do next year. Spread the joy. Um, how was your New Year's? Uh, it was good. Yeah. So we were we were in Minnesota for um, a little vacation, visiting family. Both my wife and I um, grew up there and have family there, and so. Yeah, that was our that was our new year. We both, <laughs> uh, both Deb and I, uh, we've we've continued our tradition though of going to bed before midnight. <laughs> <laughs> for real? Yeah, I just like I just don't have time for New Year's. I'm just like you what? Like, what? <laughs> I, like my sleep is important enough to me that I'm like I don't know what I'm doing, staying up this late. Like I'm gonna be messed up for two days after this. So, that so yeah, we funny. went to bed. Although it was Central Time, so I I could say I guess that Eastern Time where I live. I did stay up until midnight. So you should have just watched the ball drop early, like you know, yeah. in New York, and then gone to bed because it would yeah, be like eleven. That yeah, eleven o'clock, no big deal. That would have been yeah. good. Yeah, we did. A, we did a reverse dinner with my family. What does that mean? So that means that you have dessert first. You just oh, do it in reverse order. Okay, that's fine. And um, and then we had dinner, and then we we have this tradition of like putting questions in a balloon, like lots of balloons, uh-huh. and then the kids have to pop them, and everybody has to answer the questions. Oh. So it could be like, you know, what's the best book you read <laughs> yeah. in 2022, or yeah, what's a goal you fun. have for 2023. It was fun, and then we danced it out, had a little dance party with all the kids, and yeah, yeah, you've got like a whole party. You got so many kids, you have a party like ready to go <laughs> whenever you need it. Plus, you've it's got it's pretty fun. You've got the personality, Christy, that um, that our listeners, I think, uh, have come to come to know and love, uh, just like we have. But that personality that's like you come up with, like I'm going to put a little question inside of a balloon, and we pop it, and we like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like it was fun. It's like the idea that everybody has, which is like, hey, let's all ask each other interesting questions. But then you you put a little you put a little <laughs> of your own spice on it, and you know how we're going to get access to those questions? We're going to pop balloons. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because my husband yeah. was like, you can't use your hands. Yeah. He made all the kids like try to sit on them or lay mm-hmm. on them. And it was fun. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Anyway. Well, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. And you had a good time. You went to Tennessee for Christmas. We did. And we drove uh-huh. there and I didn't get COVID this year, people. It was <laughs> awesome. That's good. Anytime <laughs> you can. Um, I, uh, as I'm talking, I'm realizing more and more, I've got some congestion. Um, yeah. I don't, it's I don't not think good. it's COVID, but um but yeah, I think uh, just some picked up a little schmutz, as they say, perhaps. That's not a good so, way to enter the the new year. Yeah, you although get rid I, of that. it might be, it might be allergies or leftovers from allergies because my uh, my mom, who I visit, uh, has a cat and I stay at her place. Ooh. So I take I take drugs for it, but uh, sometimes I wonder if it takes a few days to kind of get flushed out of the system, yeah, so to speak. I'm, yeah, I am not a cat person because I'm yeah. pretty allergic. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a resolution guy? You make resolutions? You know, um, the past few years, I haven't been very serious about it. I haven't been very like serious you've about been making half resolutions. serious about it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I th- it's not like I reject the concept out of hand. You know, <laughs> it's just more like people are like, are you making any resolutions? And I'm always like, I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I have this vague sense of like, I think there's some good, like, that's a good, that can be a good practice. You know, and then obviously I've seen ways that it becomes an unhelpful practice, but I think it can be a good practice, but then I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm, I feel like I have the kind of personality that's always making resolutions. I think maybe that's it. Yeah. I hear that. Like I'm an Enneagram one. And Mm -hmm. so I'm always like, how am I going to be better? So every single day I have that impulse. And, um, so I don't know, maybe my instinct has been the last few years to say, you know what? I don't need to. I don't need to always be trying to get better. Like maybe I can just relax. There you go. Anyway, maybe that's my resolution. There you go. Relax. Rest chill. and relax or something. Yeah. I'll How give about you, you a word. I, I just do a word every year. Yeah, right. So I remember I, talking so, about this. Yeah. Uh, so my word this year is present, like being uh-huh. present. Yeah. I think I tend to like think about the past or think about the future and yeah. just want to be present to where I am. Um Yeah. And so I'm excited. There's some books I'm going to read and um, some practices I want to kind of implement into okay. that. And so um, we'll see. I'm, okay. I always look forward to kind of a, a new journey in an yeah. area. So, that is fun. Um, but that I do fun, like, Christy. 
I like to ask questions and kind of review the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn, Glenn and Holly Packiam have a book. I think it's called The Intentional Year. Jenny mm-hmm. Allen does like questions that she like. Anyway, I take these resources that people have and then kind of make my own and reflect and ask Paul questions. And it's good. I like to reset. So Yeah. You know, uh, um, someone in my church um, uses something called the Monk Manual. Ooh, I've never heard of that. I hadn't either. And it's kind of, it's the same thing that you just talked about there, where it's kind of this amalgamation of a lot of different uh, questions and systems and processes that he's sort of picked up from various sources. But um, it's kind of, it's done in a, it's it's not just a yearly thing, but it's a, a daily thing. So every day you sort of um, reflect on three things you're thankful for and you look f- you look to your tasks for the next day and try to, implement, you know, you like highlight three of them or be like, okay, these are the most important things for tomorrow. Um, and so it's kind of this combination of planning and journaling and mm. reflecting and praying. That is, um, I used it for a little while. It, it, it ended up feeling a little cumbersome to me, but, um, uh, but this person in my church swears by it and, and loves it. So. Oh, that's anyway. cool. I'm going to have to look into it. Yeah. Or Christy, you can make your own version of it. I know, you know, with all the different that. resources you've kind of collected, mm-hmm. like you could make a little, a journal, yeah. a little That's like a yearly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is, I'm, we're going to, we're going to talk about this later. Okay. 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 Well, all but right, today we're going okay. to dive into a, a podcast that actually yes. I was having issues okay. with, uh, trying to record it at Te- my technical issues, technical not issues. Like theological issues. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I didn't get to be a part of it. But yeah, tell yeah. us about Bonnie. We interviewed Bonnie Christian. We actually, she was one of our first interviews way back in the day. Um, she had written another book um, called A Flexible Faith. Um, and uh, we, she just wrote a new book uh, called Untrustworthy, The Knowledge Crisis, Breaking Our Brains, Polluting Our Politics, and Corrupting Christian Community, um, which I don't, I don't know. I just kind of love the, the subtitle game. Uh, of some mm-hmm. of these, uh, some of these publishers. Um, but essentially, uh, it's kind of a wide ranging book. It's interesting. It covers a lot of ground, but, um, we talk with Bonnie about, um, conspiracy theories, half truths, kind of some of the stuff that has emerged over the last few years, um, on social media, cable news, um, kind of these dubious news websites, you know, and all, all of this kind of thing and how it's contributed to some of the problems uh, that we see in society and in the church and um, kind of what to do about it. Um, and so I, you know, um, I think she's got some helpful things to say because I don't think there's anybody, anybody, you know, in America today who has not been affected by this. Like we've got family members who, you know, buy into conspiracy theories. We've got family members and, and friends and such where relationships have been broken uh, because, yeah. you know, because of these things. And so um, I think it's an important uh, and timely book and we, we chat with Bonnie about that yeah. today. Well, and I I did jump in like at one point, like it, some of the sound that, is yeah. on there because I asked a question about like, what do you do in this case? Like, how do you yeah. handle like relationships yes. that you're like, whoa, you believe something totally different yeah. Um, yeah. and how it causes friction. So anyway, Absolutely. I'm excited to hear the, the beginning part because I missed it. So um, yeah, let's yeah. jump into it. Okay. First podcast of 2023. Here we Woo-hoo. go. Hello, everyone. Bonnie Christian joins us on the Gravity Leadership Podcast today. Bonnie is a seasoned journalist who writes on foreign policy, religion, criminal justice, urbanism, civil liberties, electoral politics, and more. Her column, The Lesser Kingdom, appears in print and online at Christianity Today, and she is the author of uh, A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today, which is a book we interviewed her about a few years ago, and also the author of the book we're going to talk about today, which is called Untrustworthy, The Knowledge Crisis, Breaking Our Brains, Polluting Our Politics, and Corrupting Christian Community. Bonnie lives in Pittsburgh with her husband and twin boys. Bonnie, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah. Um, Great to have you back again. I wondered maybe as a first question, um, if you could talk about a little bit, we're going to get into the, the topics of the book here, but I wonder if you can talk about the genesis of this book. Um, wh- where did this start for you and why did you feel a need or a desire to write this? 
Yeah. So a lot of it started, I think, with my my work in journalism. Um, I'm an opinion writer and I sort of found myself returning to a lot of themes, uh, I would say from like 2017, 2018 onward, um, themes that, that had to do with, with media and like the technology of that, but also with truth and how we form opinions and how mm-hmm. we converse with each other across political differences. And gradually, you know, it wasn't sort of like a deliberate thing where I was trying to do a series or something. It was just driven by what was in the news, what was happening in the world. And so gradually I started to see those as pieces of a a bigger theme. And I wanted to write about them in a a little bit more durable format than, you know, an opinion piece that people will uh, be tired and done with after three days. Uh, And so I thought a book. Um, But it was also, you know, a, a... more relational thing as well, where I was experiencing things in in my own life and having conversation with friends um, who were experiencing very similar things. And Mm -hmm. so it it sort of became clear to me that this problem I was perceiving wasn't just uh, sort of something in media spaces or in public spaces in politics, but also something that was affecting people very personally. And that was not, uh, I was not alone in that, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I related to that as well. Um, I've, I've got a friend who um, is constantly, you know, much like uh, Jim, uh, in quotes, mm-hmm. uh, that you write about in your introduction, but um, a friend who's constantly seems to be taken in by half-truths, you know, that he heard on cable news or conspiracy theories from dubious websites um, shared on his social media feed. And sometimes, you know, I find it necessary to challenge him. You know, like I, I, we all kind of wrestle with um, how to, you know, how to talk to people mm-hmm. who are saying things that are like clearly untrue and clearly sort of like fear-based and all that kind of thing. And every once in a while, you know, I'll challenge him about some of this stuff. And and he usually sort of acquiesces at, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. realize, but then almost immediately expresses this deep, almost despair and incredulity about like, how am I supposed to know what to believe? Do I have to fact check everything? And how do I know if the fact checking websites are are, are correct? And and there's, there's this... Um, cynicism, I think, that sets mm-hmm. in that just makes it easier to just, you know, I'm just going to tune into, you know, this news channel and, and just kind of believe what's happening here. Because to him, it all kind of looks the same, right? Mm-hmm. There's this text on the internet that I'm reading or these talking heads on TV. How do I figure out who's telling the truth? Your book basically argues that this is a widespread experience yeah, <laughs> uh, for a lot is. of I mean, people. <laughs> I've had conversations with older family members where like we're yeah. looking at some really sketchy website, maybe one right. of those that if you dig down to the about page, it says like, this is a work of satire, but of course it's not funny and it's not, you know, right. it's intended to fool you, not to make you laugh. And I'll immediately look at the page that they're showing me and be like, oh yeah, this is, this is fake. Like look uh-huh. at it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you know, just the whole thing. And they're <laughs> like, but, but what? And it's like, if, I, I don't know if you yeah. can't see it, I can't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. What? um, how do we, how do we get ourselves into this mess? <laughs> I think, <laughs> Um, so a lot of the conversations we have around about around this are focused on like disinformation, misinformation. We talk about the quality of the information a lot, and you know mm-hmm. we've done that a little bit here already, and that is really important. But I think in a lot of cases, um, and you gestured here already, it's really about quantity. Um, in the mm-hmm. last 20, 30 years, first with like the rise of twenty four hour cable news, and then with the internet, and then social media as we know it now. We just enormously increased the quantity of information that we're encountering all day. Mm. Um, recently, I was talking with someone who said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I just read like one news article a day and I could think about it and I could think about who wrote it and, you know, what are they mm. likely to get right? What are they likely to get wrong? You know, does this affect my life? Can I do something about this and, you know, really meditate on that for the day? But of course, that's not how we operate, right? We read 30, 50, 100 news articles a day and can share some large portion yeah. of those very possibly. Um, and at that at that level, it's I think it's inevitable that it's overwhelming and that it we're not really going to be capable of parsing the number of fact claims, the number of sometimes really big truth claims that we're encountering. And so we really we really rapidly, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's our whole lives <laughs> if you're under a certain age, but but rapidly changed the way that we encounter and consume information. And I, I think we just didn't prepare for that, really, in terms of how we would enter that space. And now it's it's very much coming back to bite us. Yeah, yeah. And now, a word from a sponsor. 
The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Uh, Bonnie, uh, a couple things. One, I am not the friend Ben mentioned earlier, um, <laughs> although <laughs> his name's Matt. Oh, shoot, I was supposed to give a different name. Uh Two, it's crazy. As we're speaking, a friend of mine, I forgot to, I, I, I quiet my computer, but my Facebook mm-hmm. tab is still open. And a friend just sent me a YouTube video about Egyptian artifacts found in the Grand Canyon. And he said, I, I don't know if this is official or right, but this is part of the issue, right? There's yeah. six billion videos on YouTube uh, claiming to have this truth. And something you just mentioned about sort of the uh, overwhelming avalanche of inputs. David Bowie had this fascinating interview a few decades ago where he talked about the cost on human civilization that the internet would bring. And this was one of the things he mentioned, that we weren't made to function with this many inputs and that we would quickly basically outkick our coverage. We would, our, our, saw, our hardware isn't made to run this many apps. Um, how do you deal with that? So for instance, are there, are there ways that are there ways that you discipline your inputs? Are there places you go that you curate, like trustworthy sources? How do you navigate that avalanche? Yeah. I mean, I try. <laughs> I think it's something that I and probably a lot of us who tend to be online a lot will have to deal with for the rest of our lives. Like, I don't think this is something you just sort of set and forget and now you're fixed. Hmm. Um, a few things that I come back to really often are, um, one is taking stock of if you're on social media, taking stock of your social media platforms and and considering what kind of content you encounter where. One thing that I think is really deleterious is mixing content. Um, So like on Instagram, I'm pretty much there for like photos of my friends, you know, houses and dogs and kids or whatever. And for that reason, I have unsubscribed from those story posts, you know, those ones that disappear in like 24 hours. Anyone who posts political stuff there regularly or like things that are not just updates from their lives, I unsubscribe from their stories because Hmm. it's, it becomes sort of morally absurd to click from like, here's my friend's kitten to here's my other friend's like petition to stop a genocide to here's a wedding photo to please vote or our country will end. Like you just, you can't snap through that, you know, into seconds um and and process those in any reasonable way so that kind of like limiting things out uh also because i think when we get political content shared by our friends we tend to sort of trust their judgment because you know they're our friends or they're our family members or whomever um but as we know sometimes your friends and family members don't have great judgment and so when i'm clicking on some video or news article that was brought to me by someone i know and trust I'm, I'm going into that maybe with my guard down and not really scrutinizing it. I'm, I'm just sort of accepting it. So that's one thing. Another thing that I recommend is, and that I try to do myself, is um, just like time limits and order limits. So um, a, a rule that I have stolen from a book called The Common Rule is scripture before phone. So like trying to not start the morning on Twitter, basically. Um, trying to start it even if it just means like, reading a really quick psalm or something um, to, to set the day that way. And then um, just recently I had to, to go back again and like log out of Twitter on my phone and I have like a security thing set up that will be enough of a hassle that I'm not going to go to the trouble of logging back in again at least for a while, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a third thing that I point to a lot is 
and I do this as a journalist, but I think it's, it's also really important as a news consumer, is limit the number of topics that you pay attention to and know well. Um, when we're thinking about that avalanche of information, if, if you are trying to sort of keep up on all the headlines and have a, a light knowledge of everything that's going on in the world, I think that makes you much more susceptible to confusion and deception. Whereas if you pick yeah. maybe three, four, five topics, like, you know, I don't know, immigration policy, the war in Ukraine, sort of something big like that, right? But that you would follow long-term, that you would maybe even read a book about, not just the daily headlines. Wait, um, a whole book? You can, yeah, a whole book. <laughs> you can build, don't worry, you can look at your phone between chapters. Oh, you so can, uh, I think she means a up. tweet about the book. I think that's <laughs> what she means. The summary You of can the build book. up that background information so that <laughs> When you yeah. come across a YouTube video, you can be like, oh, no, this is this is nonsense. Like, I know about this, and this mm-hmm. is not it. And you can't build up that kind of background knowledge on everything. It's just not possible. So yeah. limits of, of topics, limits of time, um, and I think limits of platform are all really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think, because um, that, that does seem to be just the honoring of human limits. Our, our limited ability to take in information, our limited ability to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of, a lot of this, for, for people that I know, that um, myself included, like I think we're trying to do some good in the world. Like we're trying mm-hmm. to know about the war in Ukraine and, and immigration policy and what's happening with, like we're trying to know about these things because we feel like there's something important at stake, right? Justice issues and that kind of a thing. Um, but honoring our, our own limits um, in those, even in our ability to kind of do good in the yeah. world, I think is a really healthy thing. And I think there's not a contradiction between saying, you know, this issue is really important. Mm-hmm. I don't have the capacity to do anything about it or to be knowledgeable about that. I know other people are working on that and I'm yeah. going to, you know, leave that to them and prioritize this thing that maybe I can do something about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't care about justice in an area just because that is not an area that you, you personally can't address in your life. You can't do yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to talk a bit about, you mentioned social media and limiting social media. I'd love to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about social media because this is something I've been thinking about for a while um, with, with Matt, with other friends um, that I wonder if you can, you can comment on. I know you've got a whole um, uh, section of the book that talks about social media, and this is a super interesting time to talk about this. This podcast won't release until 2023 probably, but um, we are recording this during the fourth week of Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. And um, I don't know, it, probably most of our listeners don't aren't following this, but it is crazy what's been happening. Um, and so who knows, Twitter might not even exist by the time this uh, gets released. I don't know. Um, but I, I wonder if you can uh, talk about, so in, in your book, you rightly, I think, critique social media, the way that it's set up um, mm-hmm. to... Uh, the way that it's set up kind of creates, it, it adds to this problem for us, right? Um, by the same token, I've heard from marginalized people, black people in particular, that social media has been helpful for them in sort of democratizing public discourse in a way where there's just as much access that they have to write a tweet, you know, or, or mm-hmm. respond to, to an issue as um, so, sort of they've found it freeing to go outside the traditional communication channels um, in order for their voices to be heard. So I'm wondering, um, I don't know if you have anything, uh, to say about this, but I, um, I am wondering if there is something, um, to be said about keeping that perspective in mind about some of the helpful ways that social media has, has done those things while also rightfully critiquing some of what social media has done, uh, to our public discourse. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not like a, a social media absolutist, right? Like I have a mm-hmm. Twitter account. I have an Instagram account. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that it has zero value or benefits. I am a little skeptical of those arguments um, in terms of, you know, the idea that that making your voice heard on social media is typically affecting any concrete change in the world. Mm. Um, You know, it might feel good, I think, to tweet. Did anything actually come of it, though? Did any public official actually change their policy because of your tweets? Um, You know, in many cases, were you even able to change your recalcitrant uncle's mind? (laughs) Probably not, right? right? I think we have an overinflated sense of of what our social media activity does. And I I mean, I include myself in that. I Mm -hmm. go on there and hope that I'm selling books or hope that I'm 
getting people to read my articles in practice, like when you look at the analytics on a lot of this stuff, people are not actually doing the things you want them to do. Mm. Um, and I think that's even more true of, of bigger asks like policy changes than it is of like, please click this link and read the yeah. thing I wrote. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's not there's zero value on social media. There is. And I know many people have, um, you know, important relationships that have started on social media. They have uh, had important like career things. And I would include myself in this important career yeah. developments that have yeah. come out of social media. It's not that there can be nothing good there. But I think that we went into it with a lot of naivete about uh, how this would change the world and how it would democratize things and it would make public officials so much more accessible to us. And this far into the experiment, I, I think on a lot of those things, the, the net balance is more negative than positive, even if certainly you can find users who are having a positive experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful because I think... Um, I'll just say like one of the, one of the eye-opening things for me about this, and you address this in the book, but mm-hmm. just the way that it's set up is to benefit the company that owns mm-hmm. the social media platform. Like the way that it's set up is not to provide every, there's not, there's no altruistic motive behind social media. Now, if it was owned by the public and you know, it was, it was really thought of as a pub common square. Sure. Maybe, but, but there's, there's a profit motive here. And so they profit if your eyeballs stay on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, and I think that just knowing that, um, has helped, I don't know, it is, I, I hope it's helped me to become a a bit more of a savvy social media user and it doesn't maybe affect me and, or I can notice it when it is starting to affect me in the ways that they're hoping it does. And I can Mm -hmm. say, Oh, wait a second. Do I want to cooperate with this impulse to spend the rest of the afternoon on Twitter or (laughs) do I want to do something else with my time? Yeah, this is something that is really interesting with the, you know, the Elon Musk's $8 a month plan. Um, because the way that thing, the way that social media works now is very much about like use time, like minutes that you're logging on the site and putting your eyeballs there and, and how much of it your your attention do you give it. Yeah. Um, maybe if, if it was dependent on like a subscription fee, maybe some of those incentives could change where they could make yeah. a profit without totally corrupting your brain. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Maybe there, maybe there is a model of social media that's less corrosive to how we like think about the world and process information. I don't think know that we've gotten there yet. Yeah. Bonnie, I'm curious if we just go right into an actual like thing that happens in my life, but I have, I have friends actually have a, a relative. We'll, we'll keep it like incognito. We won't say who it is, but, um, is it Matt? It's not, it's, not okay. it's my friend Matt Bebby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but Tim they Bebby. they are, you know, they believe in conspiracy theories and it's significantly mm-hmm. disruptive to their ability mm-hmm. to relate. Um, why do people get taken in by conspiracy theories and how do we effectively combat it with our friends and our relatives? Can you yeah. kind of speak to that a little bit? That's a tricky one and probably one of the things that I get asked most often. Um, as far as why they're attractive, I think, you know, on the, on the most sympathetic end of things is that sometimes they're true. And especially people who came of age in the 70s, like that was a huge decade for ex- exposure of real conspiracies that happened. And I think if that's sort of like your entrance, and, and this is boomers basically, right? If that's your entrance into politics, you're sort of primed to be open to that. Mm. Um uh, beyond that, though, you know, even with even with fake theories, I think that there are a couple other pieces of attraction. Um, one is that like they make a lot of sense to people a lot of times. It's a tidy explanation. It's a it's a it provides a way to sort of fix a lot of things at once, um, and often you know very like legitimately bad things that you should want to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be sort of comforting even though it's even though it's generating fear at the same time like it's comforting right to know that if you could just get those bad people this thing would go away um and then the the internet has added this new dimension where it's it's often really communal like you see this a lot with the this is a big thing with the QAnon 
conspiracy. It's like it's a movement. It's not just a theory. You have sometimes really good friends there. And especially if your behavior has started alienating people in real life, like you're describing, then those friendships become even more valuable and hard to give up. Um, So I think it's attractive for a lot of reasons. And I think that sense to which it plays to feelings and to which it involves friendships also is why it's really hard to get people out of it. Because particularly now where it, the way conspiracy theories tend to work these days, and again, I would use QAnon as an example, is there's not a lot of theory. It has a lot in common with like a, a role, like a video game or a, hmm. um, one of those games where you search for clues. Hmm. So it's really gamified. It's fun. You do it with your friends. Um, and the details don't super matter. So <laughs> trying to argue someone out of it I mean, even if they concede one point, they're just going to come up with something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will be endless and you'll never be able to keep up even if you spend so much time doing it. And so, yeah, that is why, like, as much as it sort of goals me because, I mean, I argue things for a living. I I want (laughs) argument to work. Um, It's why I keep coming back to recommending that you don't really try to argue with people. Um, And that, insofar as is possible, and, and obviously they sometimes they make this really difficult, but that you talk about other things and you do other things Mm -hmm. like normal things that maybe in the long run um, can remind them that there are other and better things going on and things that they can actually affect and, and enjoy. Um, And then one of the, one of the pastors I interviewed for the book recommended that at some point, if you have like a, a solid enough relational basis, you could ask them, what sort of fruit is this producing in your life? And that maybe in some cases people will be like open to that question and open to the, the realization that can produce. But I think that's something that you get to after a long time, not, not when they're sort of in the heat of it and real excited about this new thing they've found. We'll be right back. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, you mentioned the 70s and like Watergate and all the, the J. Edgar mm-hmm. Hoover stuff that came out about the FBI. And so... MK Ultra, tons of fun stuff. Yeah, tons of stuff. And then uh, those of us in Gen X, like I grew up watching the X-Files where it was just mm-hmm. one long show about a conspiracy, right? <clears throat> and it seems like, you know, Egyptian artifacts found in the bottom of the Grand Canyon oh. or the X-Files are like these a little more harmless conspiracies, Right mm-hmm. versus these Egyptian artifacts were buried in the Grand Canyon by Mitt Romney and Nancy Pelosi 
and they're there for the reptilian aliens so they can unearth them. So we therefore have to kill Mitt Romney and Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> like, it seems like we can delineate or differentiate between harmless mm-hmm. conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories that, that, like you said, bear bad fruit, lead to mm-hmm. actual injustice and harm in the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bonnie, is that part of this too? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, if you have someone who insists that the moon landing was fake, like, probably whatever. Who cares? You can think they're wrong. They can think you're wrong. It's probably not going to matter if they're, like, in the Capitol building (laughs) with horns on. (laughs) Maybe things are a little different at that point. a little different kind of theory. Um, In terms of the the approach you should be taking. Uh, And I think that's part of why it's so difficult, right? Because for a long time, conspiracy theories, as most of us encountered them, probably were in that more like harmless crank variety Mm -hmm. where, where people, there wasn't really any action to take. Like what would they do because of it? It was just sort of like an annoying thing they talked about from time to time. Whereas again, because of the internet now, they can find other people and start to say, who believe the same thing and start to say like, well, what could we do about this? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's a term I was introduced to from a Andrew Whitehead recent Andrew Whitehead article. He was talking about Christian nationalism and sort of why it persists. And he was he, he used the term false consensus, hmm. where if you're only gathering with people who believe about the same things that you do, it's you have this feeling in your community and in your body that everybody believes it's clear. Mm-hmm. It's it's easy to see this, you know, because you, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's the other sort of dark side of the connectivity, right, is like I can go find a community on Reddit or, you know, a, a, a group of people on Twitter that, well, yeah, we all see things the same way. And if I'm going to talk to Christy about this stuff, she's just going to challenge me or want me to, you know, talk about her kids instead. But, mm-hmm. oh, I, I get I get fed from this, uh, this online community that um, we all kind of can post stuff and, hey, did you hear about this? And it feels good to sort of belong mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things I appreciated, Bonnie, about this book um, is it's practical. Uh, at the end, you do try to, you know, how do we deal with friends and relatives who, you know, believe conspiracy theories and things like that? What do, what do we do ourselves um, to try to bring some semblance of, um, you know, sanity uh, to um, our discourse and that kind of things? And I think... Um, you know, maybe the two ditches that are easy for people to fall into when kind of faced with this knowledge crisis. One is the, the friend I mentioned who is not Matt Tebby at the beginning, um, where his, uh, his uh, temptation was to fall into despair. He didn't want to really mm-hmm. think about how bad this problem was because it just made him think, well, I can't even know if anything's true and that's too hard for me. Um, and I think the other, you know, the other ditch is maybe falling into um, sort of doubling down on false certainty. Um, and so I like that your, your book sort of, um, provides a way forward. And I really liked the the chapter called a practical epistemology. I really liked that uh, term because I do think it, it takes some of the, anyway, there's a lot more to it than we can probably get into on this podcast, but, um, I love, I just want to comment on this and see if you have anything that you'd like to say about it, but I love that you included love as an important element of a practical epistemology. And you quote N.T. Wright, um, who talks about an epistemology of love and knowing things by loving things. Um, and so I, I wonder if you could just say something about that. Like, why, why is love important for knowing the truth? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned I quoted N.T. Wright. I think that's um, very much stealing from him there, mm-hmm. uh, standing on his shoulders. But his idea is basically that, you know, when we love something, we're approaching it as it is not as we want it to be or not as something that we can use for mm-hmm. ourselves um, and so thinking about knowledge that way uh, and and the two the two ditches that you mentioned right so like if we if we love something we're not going to fall into the the sort of overwhelmed like cynicism giving upside of things because we care mm-hmm. about it and we, we want to be engaged with it um, mm-hmm. and so you know there's that that urge against giving up. But on the other hand, uh, just doubling down and, and believing what we want to be true, that is an example of using using the information, mm-hmm. um, not really searching for the truth, but searching for things that help us or that help our cause. Um, and so, yeah, I think 
it's certainly we can see where love has a role on the relational side of this. Um, but I thought that it was really striking the way and important the way he talked about it um, on that more intellectual or, um, you know, knowledge focused side of things. It is a, a connection that I, I feel like we don't make very often. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting to think about that because I think there is this overwhelming temptation for us to, for us to, yeah, use facts for our cause, you know, mm-hmm. and we all believe our cause is righteous. But to love, to love the truth because it's true is something that I do think that Jesus points us back to. And that, you know, politi- politicians, you know, from uh, Pilate all the way to Rudy Giuliani, like have, have always tried to be cynical about that, right? Mm. Like what is truth, Pilate says, or um, I can't remember what Giuliani says, you quote him in the book, but, you know, something like, you know, uh, truth isn't truth. Truth isn't truth, you know, yeah. or, or alternative <laughs> facts or, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And so, um, but there's, there's this like feeding of that cynicism to say like, there's no such thing as truth. So there's nothing to love here. There's mm-hmm. only power interests and we're just using facts, you know, words to, to, to just advance our cause. And um, I, th- I think the change that's been surprising to me is just seeing how out in the open that is. Mm-hmm. Right, right now, so, like there, there are people, the politicians, political strategists, who are openly admitting that's yeah, that's the strategy, is we just say whatever we need to say to galvanize the people to kind of vote for us and keep us in power, and it's just um, anyway. You can yeah, tell my temptation is the cynical hard, one. So <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to know. Like, are they just more open about it now? Was it always this bad? But yeah. you know, people are a little more smooth, a little more willing to sort of hide their work. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, my inclination is to say that there was always a lot of this, but that the the way, like that very democratizing effect of social media encourages more of us to do it and, and sort mm-hmm. of makes it um, happen more often. So in that sense, makes it more visible and more unavoidable and, and makes the people who, who do lean towards cynicism, like, it's, you know, it's easier to say, like, there's, I can't keep up with this. I can't sort through all this. There's just yeah. too much. You're openly stating you want to deceive me. So I give up. I give up. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Bonnie, maybe we can close with this, but I'm curious, you know, someone picks up your book and they read it. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping they walk away with? I think the biggest thing I'm hoping is that when it's it's getting towards that practical section in the end that, you know, when I'm asking people to, to really look at their habits and, and the way that they've even like arranged the physical spaces in their home, um, that they're actually looking at that. Uh, and I think especially that they're looking at that in terms of uh, like children, if they have them, um, mm-hmm. like my kids are three, so they're too young to for this to really be an issue yet. Um but I think I mentioned earlier, I think this is something like those of us who are adults already, who are already online too much, this is something we'll be dealing with the rest for the rest of our lives. But maybe that experience at least makes us more knowledgeable to, to think about what are the pitfalls here and, and what are the decisions I should be making like for my children so that they mm-hmm. are maybe not dealing with it in quite the same way for the rest of their lives. Um, and obviously you can't anticipate how technology will change and what the challenges will be. But I think a lot of the like habits and habits to make space for the, the growth of intellectual virtues that I discuss are things that will be applicable even as new, new technologies are coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm due to speak to a, with a high school class uh, tomorrow morning. Okay. And they sent along some questions for, in advance. And the top question um, was something like, why do you want to keep your kids off the internet? Isn't it a good thing with so much information? <laughs> you just had to laugh. Like, you know, I mean, I love the internet too, but yeah. no, I'm not going to let my, you know, yeah. especially preteen child just run wild on YouTube. Right. Nope. Um, and that's, that's something that um, I think those of us who have come to, to realize that we have a real problem here can hopefully handle better with, with future yeah. generations. I think yeah. I think that's your next book, Bonnie. Uh, I have six <laughs> kids, and I think you need to make this this uh, a kid version of this because, mm. man, I think a lot of parents have a lot of questions. They're dealing with it in their own lives, but then they're also trying to figure out how do I parent my child because mm-hmm. the same yeah. things that they're struggling with, their fifteen year old or twelve year old or whatever is struggling with too. So anyway, that's my idea. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there we go. That seems like a harder book to write, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think so too. Well, Bonnie, this um, book covers ton- so much ground. Um, a lot of well-researched nuance on all kinds of stuff. I was really impressed uh, with your writing on cancel culture, the death of expertise, the role of emotions and experience in our discourse. So obviously we can't cover all of that, which is why, listeners, uh, you should read this book. Uh, it's really it's really helpful. Um, thanks for writing it, Bonnie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, how can people connect with you on online? Well, uh, as said, I am so- on the internet. Yeah, you are on the internet, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter's probably the most active at, at, at Bonnie Christian. Um, and okay. I also have a Substack, bonniechristian.substack.com, which okay. has been pretty book focused right now. And, um, I, I would say, especially if you have questions after reading, by all means, subscribe and send me your questions and I'd love to answer them in an email for subscribers. Um, it's free. There's, there's no, uh, no paid feature, at least as of this time. Okay. Um, so yeah, lots of places to find me. Okay. Well, thanks for spending some time with us again, Bonnie. Good to talk with you. you. Uh, What is your favorite conspiracy theory? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to know. Now, is a favorite conspiracy theory like an entertaining conspiracy theory? Or, Or is it one that you think might be true? Okay, it can be any. <laughs> those both of those could be true oh, yeah, together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll I give wish you, this was true because it's so entertaining. I'll give yeah. you mine. I'll give you mine first. Okay. All my right. favorite. Uh, I, I, uh, ET came out in 1982. I was like six, and my oh. parents let me watch it, and it scared the stink out of me. Yeah, it was a scary movie. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they let me watch it. So anyway, yeah. I grew up fascinated by aliens, and I uh-huh. my favorite conspiracy theory has to do with like the United States has, you know, recovered like spaceships. Right. And they yeah, UFOs use that in the technology. 50s. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. Now I don't I think like it's I don't think it's true. But I really but like see, that. See that question at the end of your voice there? <laughs> yeah. You think it might true. be? May, yeah. I mean, of all the, yeah. That, so that one's a big one. The one that I, obviously the QAnon stuff is really awful. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, the, okay, I'm going to use a Christian swear, everybody. Oh boy. Oh boy. Gird up your ear holes. Mm-hmm. The crap <laughs> they get people to believe, mm-hmm. like reptilian people and drinking right. blood is is first of all awful, but secondly, you almost have to say, "Well done." Like I don't yeah. know, you're you're you doing such a moon. good job at this. You really went for it. <laughs> <laughs> you just you're just like you know what? Let's just think of the most ridiculous thing we can, and let's see if they'll. And it's like, yeah, well, I guess they, I guess so. Yeah. yeah so I those are probably you, my two. Yeah. I I am f- quite fond of aliens as well. Um, I, I love alien sci-fi. And uh, so I, I think that might be mine as well, just that the aliens are already here. They've already landed. We were already communicating with some sort of aliens. I, I like that as a conspiracy theory. It's interesting to me. So, okay. Do you know do you what's happening favorite? to me right now? What's yeah, happening th- yeah. to you? What's happening to me is that because there are people that I dearly love that are like up to their eyeballs in conspiracy mm. theory, that when you ask me what my favorite one is, it like kind of breaks my heart because I'm like, oh, oh yeah. like yeah. this is like I think of a person who actually believes like in in like their life is different and altered because of mm. what they believe about these things. That mm. it's like really unsettling to me, and I mm. wonder. Um, anyway, I'm I'm saying that just well, because may, that's what's happening. But yeah, maybe there's listeners uh, who feel that way too. I, yeah, I could understand that. Yeah, all that to say, I don't have a favorite. Don't okay. have a favorite. All right, you and love I'm, them all I'm equally. Like, that's fair. Yeah, and I'm a favorite person, but like yeah, you do like I'm, favorite things, I, favorites of everything, but not like having conspiracy a theories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you guys All heard? Right. You guys remember that? Um, remember that that music? The worship guy, uh, David Crowder. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, the big beard. Yeah, I like him. The big too. beard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys hear the uh, conspiracy theory that his parents were in the Manson family? What? No. And he was no. raised, and he's like he's like part of the Manson family still, and he's sort of like covertly leading worship, like really? to undermine Christian stuff. Wow, 
I haven't heard about this. That's messed up. Theory. It is messed up. Well, I just made that up. Do you think it would uh, work if I <laughs> huh. put that out there? Yeah. Think people would believe I that? I mean, maybe. It might be easily falsifiable by research, but... But who yeah. does research that didn't, anymore? That didn't, stop, that didn't stop other conspiracy <laughs> theories. This so is sorry. true. Sorry. No. I, I, this, I hope we're not undoing Bonnie's work. Her very good work in her book. It just, there's so many of these stories out there. Yeah. Uh, what, can I share one more conspiracy uh-huh. theory that I love? I know we're going long. <laughs> uh, when I was in high school, AP history, I was like, yeah. I, I had to do a report on somebody, and my teacher's like, you should read about Rasputin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rasputin was this Orthodox priest who basically could he- like heal the Tsar's daughter's hemophiliac uh, hemophilia, um, and basically uh, he basically was like like a Don Juan like Rico Suave guy. Like he would he was he would sleep with tons of people, but he had healing powers. And then when they tried to kill him, they like shot him a dozen times, gave him like. Th- six times the arsenic that was needed to kill somebody and he was still alive. Like that, those are, those are the kinds of stories that fascinate me. Like how mm. does, how does this guy who lived about 140 years ago, how does he, what, what was going on with him? What's up with him? What's so, up with him? That's not really a are conspiracy those stories theory. real or are they, uh, yeah. Well, these stories are real. <laughs> like his yeah. murder, if yeah. you just read, if you just go Google uh-huh. Rasputin's murder, oh. You are just asking our listeners to Google things. If you just Google, just just Wikipedia. Bonnie just told us to get off the internet. Get off the internet. All right, we probably should. And now go Google it. We probably (laughs) should get out of here. We probably should get out of here. That stuff is fascinating for me as well. Yeah, you guys, I didn't I didn't tell you this yet, but my uh, grief counselor Mm -hmm. died yesterday. What? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, he was so good that I don't even care. Matt, that one, that one. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Listeners, uh, I apologize. I'm half yeah. met Tevi. <laughs> maybe maybe I am the friend you were talking about, Ben. Yeah, it oh could be. Could maybe be. I'm yeah. the troublemaker. I've been here. trying to work up the courage to have an intervention <laughs> talk with you. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, All right, friends. I I do want to say, listeners, I already said this, um, but the book is really good. The book is um, it's well researched. Uh, it's yeah, it's just a it's just a, a good, well rounded book. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in these topics, uh, I would encourage you to pick it up. Um, yeah. So All that's right. probably enough for now. Yeah. Unless you guys want to talk about cars. When was uh, the last time that each of you was in a car dealership? Like looking at a new car. Like when did you have to buy a car last? I d- ten years ago. It's nice. more than that for me. Yeah. Well, uh, can I tell you a story, real quick? You can't. Is this feels like a trap, Christy? <laughs> it feels like a bad joke. Right well, well, here we go. Let me tell you a story. Your uh, grief counselor. I was the last time I was <laughs> my grief counselor died. No, uh, I don't even care. I was in a car dealership with my grief counselor. No, <laughs> sorry, I was in a. Last time I was in a uh, like looking for a car, I overheard this conversation um, that that I wanted to tell you about. And um, there was a couple looking at this car, and they were talking to the salesman. And they were just asking him various questions about about the car, and they said, uh, "What about cargo space?" And uh, the salesman looked at them a little bit confused, and and just said, "Well, I'm sorry, but car no can do that. Cargo road." It's contagious. <laughs> I do feel like my I'm joke. Was, I do feel like my joke was a fart, and then I feel like Ben, Ben like ate my fart and then burped it back into everybody's face. It is so good that I am like over a thousand miles away. I do not want that rubbing off on me. Yeah. No. Oh, man. Oh, my I definitely want that one though. That was such a good joke. I I mm. giggle about that one. I, I heard that one yesterday, <laughs> and I just think about it and I giggle. Just uh, trouble. Cargo can do that. Cargo Cargo Road. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, listener, well. On that note, friends. That, on that, that note, yeah, yeah. If that doesn't get Happy you back day. next week, we're out of ideas. Mm-hmm. You'll notice, <laughs> uh, listeners, that Christy felt the need to apologize for Matt, but not for me. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh gosh. Right. I'm just flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. No. All right. No. All right, listeners. See you next week. Peace. See you. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. 
Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.